0: Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the film world equivalent of the Warren Commission. Is there a cover-up to keep a good movie down, or are we just tinfoil hat-wearing weirdos who see things that simply aren't there? You decide. I'm Rob, and tonight I'm joined by James. James, how are you, man? Yeah, good, thank you, Rob. Glad to be back. I know, I know. And as, like, the revolving door of FYR that is not real, but it's just happened these last two episodes. Um, we've got James back, but Simon is gone. Bless Simon, his uh, yes, his day-to-day workload. He's not dead. He's not dead, no, he's <laughs> yes. not dead. Um, and you can hear, what you can hear, listeners, uh, you heard some uh, chuckling there. With us tonight is our Pod Dojo brother, hot from the outstanding The Tapes podcast. It's Rossendale's Barry White and Pod Dojo's very own sex symbol,
1: Mr. Chris Golden. <laughs> Thank you very much. What an introduction. (laughs) Welcome back, Chris. Yeah, thank you for having me back. I'll come back more. It's great to have you back, man. How are you doing? Are you okay? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. I'm really, really excited to be here. Again, extra excited to be talking about tonight's film. Oh, my word. (laughs) Well...
0: So a couple of orders of business we need to get through yeah. before then. Um, but uh, first i I'll ask James, what have you been watching this week? Oh, since last we spoke, it feels
2: like ages since I was on mm. the pod. I've seen loads and loads of good stuff. I think in general it's been a really good year for movies and I've been enjoying lots of stuff. I wanted to shout out a couple of things that have dropped on Netflix over the course of the year that I've watched in the last couple of weeks. And Netflix, they do rightfully, in my view, get a lot of crap for a lot of their big budget stuff that they put out, like The Grey Man and Red Notice. They're terrible movies. But, you know, they also put out quite a lot of good stuff as well. So I wanted to shout out two of these films that are really good but have not had any sort of publicity on the platform at all. So the first one is a French film called Athena, so the setup for this one is that hours after the tragic death of their youngest brother in unexplained circumstances, three siblings have their lives thrown into chaos, resulting in a tense siege with local police force. So think La meets uh, The Raid and you'll have a good idea of the tone of uh, director Romain Gavras. Oh, I've absolutely butchered that, haven't I? <laughs> a visually stunning action tragedy. Uh, The film doesn't necessarily land all of its punches in terms of its societal commentary, but this does not detract from what is a gripping achievement in both action choreography and cinematography. Opening with one of the most visceral and technically impressive sequences of the year, the film very much trades on its ability to deliver one tension-rife virtuoso single-take set piece after another. Honestly, this guy, Romain Gavras he's eventually going to make the jump to Hollywood. And I hope that when he does, he doesn't do like... Expendable 6 or some nutless
1: cape shit and does yeah and actually gets to make a proper action movie is this the one that, is it was David Fincher like an executive producer on this or something or he's a, he's a big fan of his isn't he I think I'm Fincher. not
2: sure I haven't I haven't gone through the credits um, and I didn't notice his name come up when the titles
1: rolled oh right uh, okay. but, maybe, yeah. maybe he's just a big fan I think he's he, he, I'm sure it's have you seen know, a poster with a quote from him saying, you know, he, this director's someone to watch. Oh, for find, sure, you know, yeah. Real. yeah. But you don't get that very often with Fincher, <laughs> do you? No no, 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 no.
2: He won't usually put his neck out for anyone, really. But, uh, yeah, he's good. He's got the goods. And like I say, I hope he gets to make a big-budget movie in the future, but not a franchise load of rubbish.
0: <laughs> what did you call it, James? Nutless cape it. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I mean, mate, I, I hope... That I am still around after your passing for the sole reason I can get that on your tombstone.
2: (laughs) Husband, father, not a fan of nutless cape shit. (laughs) Uh, And what was the other one? You said there was a second one. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, I'm not even pretending to have any respect for that genre anymore. (laughs) Um... So the second one was Apollo 10 and a, half, a Space Age Childhood. So this is the most pleasant surprise of the year for me. And to think I only put it on because it was 10 p.m. on a Friday night and it had a 90 minute runtime. So rendered in dazzling rotoscope animation, the film is Richard Linklater's deeply personal ode to a childhood spent in the shadow of NASA and how the moon race simultaneously inspired optimism the future and distraction from the political and cultural turmoil in America it's like this really relaxed nostalgic trip to a bygone era that completely charmed me from beginning to end and for me it's one of the best films of the year and you know Netflix should really shout about it when one of the most significant auteurs of the last 30 years delivers a movie that stands shoulder to shoulder with his best work. I absolutely loved it. I just thought it was so good. And I've not really been into his other, you know, Rotoscope is where they sort of Mm. film and then they they draw over the footage and animate it there. It's really visually impressive, but I've not been that impressed by the two previous times. He's, met a, he's implemented that technology, but this one was just great. Just a lovely little nostalgic hangout movie um, about growing up near NASA and just childhood in Texas. Wonderful stuff. Absolutely awesome. Could you just give me the name of that one again, please, James? I'm just yeah, it's some notes. called Apollo 10 and a Half, A Space Age
0: Childhood. Nice, man. That sounds incredible. Yeah, lovely, lovely film. Love it. Love it. And like you say, there is, you know, obviously we, we sort of deride some of the streamers a little bit for the sheer volume they put out. But like, obviously, like when you throw mud at something, some of the mud is really, really good.
2: Yeah. And particularly with yeah. the
0: sort of filmmakers there. They're two
2: incredibly talented filmmakers that they've that yeah. they've made films with. And they've just not publicised this work. They've just dropped them onto the, onto the service. You know, Richard Linglater is, you know, he's made great, uh mainstream movies like School of Rock. Yeah. But then he's an auteur in his own right with, you know, things like Dazed and Confused and the the before trilogy as well. So he's he's like a really significant American film director. Mm. And they just went, Oh, he's made one of these movies. Watch it if you feel like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the tape was the tape. Uh the Early one he did with Ethan Hawking Yes, in the with Ethan. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, he made on yeah.
2: like a DV camera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It looked
0: like that uh, Bigfoot footage that you shared with Right, that's enough. <laughs> well, it's not Bigfoot Corner yet. We don't go there yet. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> cool. Um, so, uh, Chris, what about you? What have you been enjoying uh, watching recently?
1: A uh, couple of things. Uh, something new, which is uh, it's currently being shown on Disney Plus over here, which is The Old Man. Yes. Which is with the TV series. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> with Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow. And it is just, it's the, the, the acting, the writing, the director, it's so assured. You know, I think at, at a glance, you could probably say, oh, it's a bit quite quite slow-paced, but it just sucks you in. And uh, Jeff Bridges, what a performance. He's just <laughs> amazing, <laughs> in not
3: and I think the
1: first two or three episodes were directed by John Watt, who did um the three Tom Holland Spider-Man films. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of a bit of a change of pace. I know he did that. Was it called Cop Car? That was his first film with with uh Kevin Bacon, which was really cool, pretty, pretty good. But yeah, absolutely just sucked into that one. Really recommend it. Acting brilliant, just a cracking story. Um there's some flashbacks to like what it's young. Jeff Bridges and the actor they've got to play him is just perfect. The act, his mannerisms, everything. So I would really recommend, if you want kind of like slow burn, spy, espionage, thriller definitely uh, want to watch um Very cool yeah no it is it's really good it's well worth your time yeah I'm, i've
2: done three episodes of that so far uh mm. you spot on with oh it's the, a series yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you're spot on with the young uh, the guy who plays young jeff bridges although oh, yeah. he has like he sounds a bit like keanu reeves i think <laughs> he's got like this really <laughs> deep mellow voice like yeah. Uh, yeah no it's really good stuff and Lithgow as well, who we'll be talking about yeah, in great detail. Yeah. Oh, we will, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing that
1: I've been watching, which I think should be a contender for this podcast, is uh, a uh, Nicolas Cage film, which I know you know uh, is 1988's *Vampire's Kiss*, oh. which he <laughs> he's on record saying that's his favorite film that he's been in, and I'd seen it late night years ago. And I recently discovered on, I think it's Amazon Prime or Amazon, you know, the freebie thing that they've got at the moment. I'll I'll give that a try. Man alive. (laughs) You just, you think that, oh, actually, you know, Nicker's Case has been cultivating this kind of like Big acting over, particularly over the past few years, with everything from, you know, like Mandy and, you know, uh, what a performance. He is absolutely amazing in it. Uh, and it's just such a strange film. And it's no surprising. He probably made like 50p at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like halfway through it. I'm like, what is happening? And then, and then when I was afterwards, I sort of looked at IMDb and I realized that uh, it's written by the same writer who wrote uh, Scorsese's After Hours. And I thought, ah, that sort of makes sense now. There's another oddball kind of film, but I would definitely recommend it just because it is the most amazing performance by Nick Cage. It's just really weird, and it feels like every scene is like a potential meme or a GIF. (laughs) (laughs) Every set, every scene is just is huge. Uh, he, and I know that I think it was Christine Bale said that the, hit the performance that the film was a big influence on his performance in American Psycho and I think that really sums it up where he's just wow yeah he's, he, if you've got the time I'd really recommend it even if you're a fan especially if you're a fan of uh, Chris Cage <laughs> but if you're a fan of like just oddball stuff that kind of, you like, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen next.
3: It's perfect.
0: <laughs> I love, you know, as if we couldn't hold you in higher regard, Chris, you go and bring a lesser-known Cage movie to discuss with <laughs> like us. Like, oh. I, I, it really is. And good. where did you see it? Was it on Prime?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Prime free video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Got it. So you get ads, but it is worth it. I, I'm sure it's on DVD or you can rent it, but uh, it was just the uh, – Had to watch it.
0: Yeah, this is this mad thing, isn't it? About, like, because all the things that we've mentioned tonight, um, if you have, because, like, a lot of people have. Disney Plus and Netflix and Prime, don't they? You know, they're like the sort of, I guess, the main ones. Yeah. And the fact that we have this level of selection is just bananas, isn't it? I mean, like, I just trying to try and instill in my kids that it wasn't always like this, you yeah. know? We used to take stuff. Cool stuff and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, if something was, you know, like, like right now, we'd be like, have you heard what's on TV on Christmas Day? And you'd be like, yeah. you know, like already wishing Christmas halfway gone so you could get to it, you know, so uh, it, how lucky we are. Absolutely crazy. Mm. Um, very cool. I, uh, yeah. I think, if anything, tonight has taught me that there are some serious unknown gems about their Spoiler alert, you know. Um, but anyway, um, so for myself with what I've been watching recently, um, I have always been scared of Michael Connolly's body of work simply because I knew if I got into it, I would find it very hard and it would swallow me. Swallow me whole. Um, and um, I read uh, his first Bosch book, *The Black Echo*, um, and it was just like insanely good. Um, and I got it got so under my skin. Just the, the, his style is just gold standard. And I thought, you know, I, I I'm going to get the next one. And now I'm fully into the series and stuff. But then I thought, you know, because the, the the TV series I heard didn't follow the book, so it didn't really matter which way. Um, and he, th- it was like picking bits and bobs, but but Connolly's fingerprints are all over it. He's like a producer or, on the series and stuff. So I started watching that, and my word, is that good? Yeah. And mm. is Titus Welliver is awesome? Oh, he's the well- man.
2: He's so He really is the
0: man, isn't he?
2: He's just good in everything that he's in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, we watched a bit of Transformers. Um, what is it called? Age of Extinction the other day <laughs> and he was in that just being unbelievable. And- his face is his warrant. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> you know, it's just a si- slight side issue. Right, I wasn't going to talk about Transformers, Age of Extinction, but <laughs> why at no point did someone go, you know that Romeo and Juliet law that if someone's underage you can take them across state lines or some nonsense or Yeah, oh yeah, can- he's got it laminated. <laughs> <laughs> he's got it, to- <laughs>
3: like, who saw
0: that? Like this sick lore, and went. You know what? We're going to make a family movie based around that. <laughs> We're
2: definitely I've got two do words it. for you, Michael Bay. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> he does have form for this kind of thing.
2: Remember how he introduced Megan Fox <laughs>
0: in the first Transformers movie? <laughs> I do. Sadly, I do. Sadly, I do. But it's just like. I I couldn't I couldn't fathom this. Like what kind of committed weirdo you have to be to have that specific legislation laminated. <laughs> anyway, uh sorry, that is a massive side step. Anyway, Bosch is ace though. It's absolutely yes, it is. ace. Really, really enjoying it. Very very early into it. It's to a sideways step to a uh championing a Netflix movie that I didn't see get any hype whatsoever. But like just you like you were saying, James, these gems got dropped to get like parachuted in there with You know, it's just like when you go on the Netflix homepage, like, oh, that looks cool. You know, and that's all you really hear about it. Um, Love and Monsters. Yeah, good. It's a good movie, yeah. Really, really good. But also great for the whole family. We all dug it, like, uh, right from 12 down to 5. I know it's a 12, but um, they saw Ghostbusters and they saw Dan Ockroyd, you know, getting... Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, (laughs) getting... Yeah, so they're they're all cool, uh, and obviously the absolute swear bombs all over Back to the Future as well, which they absolutely love. So mm. they they just absolutely love this movie so much. Um, it made me think that maybe um, your son might like it, Chris. But if there are any nightmares, please, it's not. I, I didn't.
1: Yeah, he's been on the list for a long time, but I was I was thinking, oh well, maybe I should watch it beforehand. But you know, if if you know, this is a lad who's absolutely obsessed with Ghostbusters. So oh, well. if we're talking that level,
0: there is nothing worse <laughs> than Ghostbusters in this movie.
1: So. Yeah. <laughs> all right, okay. and, and
0: he's watched all the um, indies as well, hasn't
1: he? He has, yeah, Temple <laughs> of Doom, uncut is... version, which <laughs> my wife is very cross with me about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is a walk in the park compared to uncut ah. Temple of Doom. It seriously is. So, but, but the tone of it's really nice. It's really sweet. And there's oh. a lot of lovely redemptive arcs to it. Lots of lovely character stuff, really nice performances. It's even a cute dog. It's got everything. It's really good really really nice and it's post apocalyptic like monsters yeah. are taking over the world what what could be more rad at all yeah, than it's that yeah that's good good fun yeah um because we love all media here just wanted to make a little shout out to um uh lego undercover city because me and my little boy <laughs> have been playing it and it's GTA in the world of lego what could be brilliant made, please is it a lego
2: so- city game is it
0: yeah yeah so it's like you're an undercover cop which means you get to play all the different roles in the city. So oh, you get to cool. be a, like a baddie construction worker for a bit. Um and it's just yeah it's an open sandbox you just drive about and arrest people and, and stick them in it's honestly it was great. Um I don't know whether it's still going but um uh what what was it? A PlayStation store had it for 8 pounds over the weekends. That's right. that's how we got it. So it <laughs> was way way good yeah. And at, like 3.8 gig of storage doesn't eat up too much of your <laughs> you know, for you Call of Duty fans out there who need 200 gig or whatever it is, just like, like your entire hard drive for it. But anyway, sorry, we digress. Um, I think it's time that we all buckled in. Buckled in? Buckled into what? <laughs> the Jeep. We're getting in the Jeep and we're going, it's sunset. We're going into the wilderness in search of Bigfoot Corner. Jingle. <laughs> So guys, really exciting news this week. To <laughs> James Ackerman, what did he <laughs> so, uh, I see. So I cannot believe we've allowed this to become a thing. <laughs> this is what um what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones called unsanctioned buffoonery, isn't it? Oh it is. It's just gotten well out of hand. <laughs> so right. I usually have to go sort of backwards to try and find something of interest for this particular segment. But you're right, how has this become a thing? But we have some actual (laughs) brand new footage from this very November. Like the the November as in the month that we're actually recording it. Which was filmed in Tennessee in the US of A. This comes courtesy of the Twitter account at Bigfoot Evidence, who is verified... Um, which I thought would add some credibility. But on further inspection, it's one of those bought and paid for <laughs> ones to make you look important, which <laughs> helps my case in no way, shape or form. 29,000 views. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but it was also covered by the mirror in this country. So that surely throws its credibility right back up there. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, this footage is of the big brown machine in the woods and it's from this November. Now, I have actually sent it to uh, the boys for them to have a quick look. I've also sent it to Simon for his thoughts as well. Um, and I wondered whether you would like to look at it at this point and give me your thoughts. Hey, you just, do you see
1: that? Do you see that? I'm afraid to... Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. How did
0: you see that? Boys, I mean, flipping heck, they're among mongers, aren't they? They're a among- <laughs> I mean, I, I, oh, it's
2: very compelling footage. It's just such a yeah. shame that it was shot on like a <laughs> a nineties camcorder through a cheesecloth filter. <laughs> I
0: mean, all I'm seeing is a dude in a gorilla costume. Right, no, that's We totally don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, if that's your take, James, that is fine.
2: Chris, last time, um, last time you were on the pod for the faculty, we hadn't introduced Bigfoot Corner. No. Um, what, I don't know your thoughts on the, uh, your take <laughs> no, 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 on the existence thoughts. of the big brown machine as Rob likes I'm sceptical.
1: I'll be honest yeah. with you. I'm going to put my... <laughs> I've, uh, I have to say, it hasn't taken up much headspace <laughs> until Rob <laughs> introduced me to the concept once again. And... It got me thinking, and the other day I was watching uh, um, Unsolved Mysteries on uh, on Netflix, yes. and it was uh, following two kind of like um, Native American cops, you know, they have their own police yes. force. And, that, that in, and in that, there's discussions about like Bigfoot investigation into that. So that I found that interesting. And so I've gone, not, not, I won't say I've quite, I've dipped my toe. I, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole just yet. But there's, I found it qu- quite interesting, the whole sort of cryptic, and you know, like, the, like I didn't know that that, that uh, Bigfoot can teleport. That's that, no, that's I, apparently. Well, oh, oh I'm sorry, is that a contentious issue? Yeah, right. I,
0: uh, the teleporting <laughs> stuff. Yeah, choose to not to. Yeah, that's not Bigfoot canon, Chris.
2: Is it canon? Okay? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> much more compelling. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea. It's it's the whole thing, isn't it? Like we have that in in our. Kind of, you know, sort of the druids and you know, like in, this other thing is that in, in in Wales, where the 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 space between reality and the other worlds is gets its thinnest, so that's where you get stories about fairies and things. And so I kind of took it as that the Bigfoot can somehow walk between that to weave yeah. back and forth. I mean, so, why,
2: why not? He's not real anyway, so
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm with you, Chris. Make him as mental as it can be because he doesn't exist anyway. So. <laughs> I, I've I, not been won over by this footage, Rob. Do you want to give it a bit of context? I, I'd to like to, if it's, it's possible. So, <laughs> so
0: the, the <laughs> I the particular dimensions of the, the blob that we're looking at <laughs> are are something. I mean, the arm, as it passes through, that really is something, isn't it? You know, that, the fluidity of the arm is really something. Everything else, I mean, Simon kind of covers it with his... So I sent it to him and said, what, what are your thoughts, Simon? He sent me back a, a, like an open-mouthed emoji of like, oh, and then puts, it's a shame the footage looks like a potato, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very fair point. <laughs> but, I, but you know what? I, 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 I have family in Tennessee. And I'm going to get in touch with them. Say, can I come over and come, come over and go squatching? If this is what we've, uh, <laughs> squat- would you guys like? To come? want to come squatching. I'd, I'd like to go to Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. the, the rules are, James.
2: <laughs> we're going, going squatching.
0: <laughs> I mean, we can negotiate that when we're on. I <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so th- this footage actually appeared on Facebook. And uh, it, it, it garnered mixed <laughs> that reviews. Bastion of
2: True
3: Facebook.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, mixed reviews were: um, so one said, What gets me is how it grabs one tree and then stretches the other arm to grab the other. I've heard of that before, <laughs> which I quite liked. Uh, <laughs> some lovely expertise thrown in. Uh, another said, <laughs> lots of pixelation so hard to say for sure first couple of watches it looks cgi <laughs> bad bad cgi isn't it? the black is very black compared to the background and it seems to have a computer image type flow to it
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we have some experts on our hands here <laughs> so bottom line the community is divided <laughs> <laughs> But my word is it alive? Uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's trip to Bigfoot
3: Corner. <laughs> Bigfoot Corner. <laughs> How is this
2: <laughs> this is a film podcast. If this happens to be your first, uh, first
3: <laughs> listen,
2: we are going to get to blowout. It's just we have to do this nonsense. Well, us. no, I've
0: got a brilliant segue. On, the then. great, the greatest Bigfoot film of all time is. I, you know, I, while I, I prefer my movies a bit more creepy. It's, it's Harry and the Hendersons. It's, it's a brilliant. Mainly, Rick Baker's effects are just the, the absolute gold standard in in you know in uh, Bigfoot makeup. There John is no Lifko other bigfoot, mate. As well, isn't he? Segway. Oh, wait, I
2: stepped on the segway. You right, just. Did...
0: <laughs> Lithgow is the dad in yeah. that particular movie. He's also popping up in tonight's movie. James, at this point, would you like to introduce us to your pick? Oh, absolutely.
2: Oh, I suppose we're going to need a logline, aren't we? Give me a. Sec. We really are. Yes. Unless right. you want
0: me to keep talking about Tennessee Bigfoots for a bit longer.
2: No, no. Let's let's <laughs> move on from
0: that. <laughs> There's there's too much gold to mine there. Yes. Like... (laughs) Overlooking actual gold that's coming.
2: Yeah. Um, So, in tonight's film, a movie sound recordist is given the simple task of going out and recording some wind sound effects only to find himself embroiled in a government conspiracy, proving once and for all that sound people are the most irritating members of any film crew. (laughs) (laughs) The film is Brian De Palma's paranoid noir blowout. Oof.
0: Roll that trailer.
1: It began with a sound that no one was ever supposed to hear.
3: He's one who saw Yes, he says he pulled a girl out of the car. I would like you to forget about
0: her.
1: Forget
3: That's what I heard just before the tire blew out. You're right, it was a shot.
1: He recorded a murder. They say it never happened.
3: There's still loose ends, witnesses. The girl, I've decided to terminate her. Terminate her, terminate her. De Palma's blowout. Now you hear it. Now you don't.
0: Blimey, blowout, James. Your pick. Please tell us how did you come to select blowout tonight. So uh, we've done De Palma on the pod before. We did Snake Eyes, didn't we? We
3: Nicholas
2: Cage and Brian De Palma. Two of my favourite cinematic things uh, (laughs) in one place. Um, So, you know, people don't always think of uh, Snake Eyes, but when people think of De Palma, they talk about his big hits. So you carry Scarface, The Untouchables, his big flops, Bonfire of the Vanities, Mission to Mars or his most controversial slash pervy movies, uh, Dress to Kill or Body Double, rarely does Blowout get a mention when, for my money, it's the best use of his stylistic proclivities, and by some distance, his best film. And, you know, I only found out about this film because Quentin Tarantino stated in an interview that this film is his favourite Brian De Palma movie, and that he pretty much cast John Travolta in Pulp Fiction on the strength of his performance, in this film. Um, so I think it's a very important movie. I think it's a great movie and one that is not often talked about within his body of work outside of, you know, people who are into into films, uh, consider themselves as, as film buffs.
0: Cool. And when did you first see
2: it? So uh, obviously the, we've got the uh, Tarantino talking about it in various interviews. So that's when I heard about it when I first started getting into... Movies and you know, properly in like the late 90s, and Tarantino is sort of a conduit for any sort of you know, young film studies film student, which is what I was at the time. Um, and you know, he kept on mentioning his film Blowout, and it had no reputation in the UK whatsoever. So, when I eventually got to university, remember at university, we had this huge uh library, and it was mostly films that had been recorded off like terrestrial television you yeah. could borrow them out of the film library there and take them home and watch them at your leisure and
0: but it was probably massively illegal
2: uh i think no because they weren't charging i think it's all right because it was true. just like well, borrowing true. it so you know uh, yeah if they were like doing pirate videos then yeah, but-, yeah. <laughs> but they weren't there was nothing untowards at sheffield hallam as
3: far as sorry sorry away.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before the legal team get onto us, <laughs> I'm sure they're tracking everything we do as their most illustrious graduates.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, so um, I rented it from the library and watched it on videotape, which uh, you know was 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 quite in keeping with the analog nature of the film. And then I've seen it a couple of times. Since on late night TV, and always just thought it was so great. And then this year, I've actually taken the plunge and invested in the Criterion Blu ray, which is just gorgeous, great artwork. Yeah, just phenomenal stuff. And yeah, I just thought it was prime to come onto the
0: pod. Uh, Chris, what about your relationship with uh, Blowout?
1: This is a bit rude there. (laughs) 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 um for me it was oh it was going down that um like i say that when you you find a, a filmmaker or a film and then you at the time this was like I say probably a similar time to you james It was like late 90s mid to late 90s where i was becoming much more acutely aware of you know like genres and then f- established filmmakers and famous filmmakers so it was just like all right okay well a, a stage of looking at the brat pack so you got spielberg and you know and coppola and um and Lucas and, and, and that, that kind of, that, that group. And obviously De Palma was part of that. I like, who's Brian De Palma? I, I, old Carrie, that's the one that I know. And so I kind of, uh, sort of discovered his films by, I don't know, becoming, becoming just aware of him being part of that kind of, you know, that cohort of filmmakers during the, you know, the seventies the, the that went off to do so many, you know, influential things. But again, it was like De Palma was never really mentioned in the same breath as sort of those other colleagues. So I kind of, um, Looked at it, sort of, oh, I'll have a look. See, so sort of try and do a deep dive on Brian De Palmer. And it's just straight up, it's like, oh, Untouchables. I didn't know he directed that. What an amazing film. Right. Okay. What else has he done? And I think he was kind of getting towards, you know, Mission Impossible. I thought, Oh, right, okay. So he does like mainstream stuff. What did you do during the like the seventies? And then just sort of discovered and then again just like looked, tried to find copies of uh on DVD or on videotape of all of his films and just, thought, oh, that was that was fantastic, that was amazing. Uh that one didn't sit with me. That was a bit weird, that was a bit Saucy. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> um, do, I, do I need to hide that coffee behind something else. Um, and then I just sort of, over the years, just of, of that group of filmmakers, because I love uh, kind of, you know, the underdog. I just thought this filmmaker's just done so many amazing things. Every time you know you see his films, that is so much of a De Palma film. Like straight off, you know, within the first few minutes of anything, you think that's definitely Derek's Brian, Brian De Palma. Such a visual style, you know, and, and was doing really interesting things. And just wasn't, like you say, at the time, just wasn't getting the credit. I kind of I equate his sort of critical career to almost like John Carpenter, which at the time sort of dismissed as well, it's just genre stuff isn't it and I think over the years it's kind of the well, Actually, there's much more to this and I say there's that renaissance and obviously we recently had the Noah Baumbach documentary uh, interview with, with Brian DePaul which is excellent but I, yeah I, I just kind of found it you know through just finding out I, I did with so many American filmmakers that hadn't discovered, like, l- let me try and find as many Scorsese films as I could find on, on DVD or video that it was said pecking power films, right? Oh, what's this? Orson Welles says that this is the best war film ever made, right? Like, try and find a copy of Cross of Iron. That's how I kind of discovered him. And again, there was, there was maybe, uh, I think, if I'm right, Mark Cousins maybe did a, an interview on, one, on his series, you know, where they kind of go through each scene, scene by scene, I think it was that series. And again, I was like, this guy is like this really grumpy dude, but he's got, his films look amazing. Yeah. So I kind of came through it from that love of doing A-level a, a <laughs> film studies and just like trying to devour as much as I possibly could and blow out was just this, I think. I think everyone, you know, is this sort of, you know, shining diamond in this pile of, well, not a pile, <laughs> but you know, a relatively mixed bag of of stuff that over the time I've gone back and reappreciated stuff that I thought I'd sort of dismissed it as. You know, like just being a bit fluff, or you know, just a bit pervy, or just you know that kind of thing. But gone back and it. I thought, Actually, this is there's so much more to this than I imagined. It's the, the,
0: one of the great answers we've ever had to that question. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a bit long-winded. <laughs> so
0: no, but so much more highbrow than what is to come. And listeners, I'm so sorry because I've got to, I'm going to put the same question to myself because I've never had a relationship with this film. This was a first watch. More than that, I hadn't heard of it. Um, So, James, you know, when you mentioned to us that, you know, we're going to watch Blowout, I thought you meant Blow Up, you know, the Antonioni movie uh, from um, the 60s.
2: Yeah, which this is loosely based upon. Right, right. It takes the same sort of premise of somebody hearing
0: a crime rather than seeing it. Because I was, like, aware of that movie just... In the ether yeah. of cinema, the tapestry of cinema, or whatever you want to call it. So I had no reference. And then when it was like, so I was looking for it, you know, to rent. I was like, what What a De Palma movie with, with with Travolta, you know? What's going on here? Um, so, yeah, no relationship, first watch. So, yeah, very, very blank canvas here for me. But can I ask you both what your favourite De Palma movies are? I really like Carrie. I think it's a really good
2: Stephen King Adaptation, and then of his probably of his more famous work. I mean, Mission Impossible is really good.
3: Yeah, so underrated that he did that. So
2: underrated.
0: (laughs) Uh, I can't argue with either of those. I'm not a big Scarface guy, to be honest. I'm not. If I'm honest, I'm not. No, I,
1: I agree with you because I, again, I remember, like the late nineties and the sort of hip hop scene getting into the whole. Everything was about I'm Scarface. Totally missing the like, point
2: of the movie. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah. This this guy. Looks, this is the American Dream. you know? Um So yeah, I, I kind of I was a bit put off by the whole like you know the, the way that that was you know you know the glamorization of that film and everything in in it like i say completely missing the point but for me i think that that it always changes it's i just love his i say as i've been going back because quite recently i read his he had a book like a crime novel that he published with his partner uh which was again just this brilliant bonkers novel and then so i decided to go back and just revisit a load of his films the first one was mission impossible which i watched with my son and he loved it and i thought to be honest with you he might not, you know, it's a PG. It's yeah. you know, Brian Depois. Of all the film, of all the Mission Impossible films, it's the most kind of classic spy film, isn't it? There's a lot yes. of plot. Yeah. There's the, you know standout sets, you know, set pieces. It's, it's quite not adult as kind of, well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's quite but he was absolutely hooked to it. And I was really surprised and I put that down to just it's so well-directed. Yeah. You know, it's just the visuals, everything, you know exactly where you are, what's happening. So we watched that and then I went back to the beginning and um uh, the Phantom of the Paradise, which is this like musical comedy. Oh, a bit like, um, oh, what's it, like Rocky Horror. It's his, it's sort of his version of Rocky I've Horror. I've
2: never seen that one. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it, Again, a
1: lot of these were released by, you know, Harrow um, yeah. on Blu-ray. So I took a punt at that and I was a bit like, as I was watching, it's was like, what on earth is this? And again, just got hooked into it. And every time I've gone back to it, I love it even more because it is so, and I think that's the thing that people don't really see with Brian De Palma's films. It's really funny. <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah. albeit this series is very dark, they're very funny and they're very satirical. And I, I love that. I love that one because, it's again, it's absolutely bonkers. But I, I like Dress to Kill because Michael Caine is, gives an amazing performance and it's like basically the closest thing that De Palma's done to Psycho. Um, I recently watched Body Double Witch. <laughs> I remember watching Late Night. Thinking this is like, am I essentially watching a porn film? And all sorts. And then I watched it again recently, and I just thought, again, he's it's so he's subverting the expectations of, of, of him. Where on paper he is seen as this pervy filmmaker who's like a Hitchcock ripoff. So what does he do? He makes a film that looks like a pervy Hitchcock ripoff, so he's like he's like he's in on the joke. And I watched it again, and, he, and I, it must have gone completely over my head the first time I saw it. And watching that again, I just thought, man, it's just absolutely brilliant. And like it's not, it's not, it's not his best, but I, there's just so much to it. And I love that he's really, he really plays with expectations and things. But yeah, I think for for, for me, Blowout is is his probably his most, you know. The one that he, the, the film that he's definitely his, as in he wrote the screenplay. This is, he is essentially John Travolta in, you know, that, uh, you know, it's all about filmmaking and the technical aspects of it. Blowout is, I think, is, is probably his best film. But yeah. then, you know, the Untouchables, that screenplay, those actors, that music, it's hard not to be kind of, you know, drawn into that. But yeah. He's done so, he's just has such a remarkable career. And I'm glad that he's getting, you know, some sort
0: of uh, you know recognition for it. I, I, I can't argue with any of the answers because uh, Untouchables, I think, is my. I've also got a huge soft spot for Carlito's Way. I think it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, um, the ending but, of Carlito's yeah. Way is one of the most gripping things. Incredibly paced, that. Oh, it yeah, is. it's just
0: amazing. Um, but then you, you you know, like there's lots of stuff for everyone. Like as I'm looking through his his filmography, for every film that I've I've heard of and seen, there's another one mm. I haven't. Like, yeah. you know, so I have to, I'm really going to have to pay attention. So much spoilers here for how I feel about tonight's film. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I, I, it's going to be unavoidable, I think. Um But yeah, what a, what a body of work. And, you know, I'll save other comments for, for later. Um But we must qualify somehow, James. I mean, are we, surely it's through numbers here. It mustn't have made a splash. Um Yes. Yeah, so... We're going to have a look at the critical reception on the
2: box office here. So, uh, Blowout opened on July 24th, 1981, to positive reviews. Also, summer movie, what were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> and some of those um, some of those reviews were absolutely ec- ecstatic. So, in The New Yorker, Pauline Kael, so very famous uh, American film mm. critic, gave the film one of her few unconditional raves. So, she was a... Uh, a a massive advocate of De Palma uh, when he first came on the scene and she described uh, Blowout as, uh, De Palma has sprung to the place that Robert Altman achieved with films such as McCabe and Mrs. Miller and Nashville and that Francis Ford Coppola reached with the Godfather films. That is to the place where genre is transcended and what we're moved by is an artist's vision, which is a pretty great write-up. I mean, I totally agree with it as well. And uh, Roger Ebert also gave the film a four-star review and noted that Blowout is inhabited by a real cinematic intelligence. The audience isn't condescended to. We share the excitement of figuring out how things develop and unfold when so often the movies only need need us as a passive witness. So again, another rave review there. In terms of the critical numbers, so we use Rotten Tomatoes, don't we, Uh, because we think it's bullshit as an indicator of quality (laughs) but on there it's got 86% from the critical fraternity and 81% so high scores Uh, Metacritic is 86% and 8 out of 10 for uh, the audience. And on Letterbox, it's got a massive 4.0 Woo! average, which is very impressive. Unheard of. This probably indicates you're like, oh, James, this is all very rosy. How are we going to get this through? <laughs> so unfortunately, we're looking at the box office. So despite positive reviews, the film struggled uh, when it was released due to terrible word of mouth about its bleak ending. Uh, Blowout made 13.5 million at the worldwide box office against a production budget in the region of 18 million. It was considered a bigger disappointment as Filmways, who financed the film, had publicly claimed the film would make 60 to 80 million dollars. So that's quite a way below Mm. expectations. I mean, putting it out in the summer is the biggest. There's nothing in here that screams tonally. Or, I know blockbusters were still very much in their infancy at this time, but it's not like, all oh, right, it's a lovely summer's day. Let's go and watch this super bleak neo noir. <laughs> it's not even
0: set in summer. I mean, it's. No, it's uh, more.
2: I, yeah. I, uh, it, well, it's set around an, uh, an imaginary American holiday, isn't it? Like oh, Liberty, Liberty Day. Lib- yeah. 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 <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah. So I don't know what time of year it is, but it's very. It looks cold. <laughs> what,
0: what uh, well, James, thank you very much for um, uh, doing both the critical assessment and the numbers this week. Because, as always, when I'm hosting and one of us has to drop out, I totally forget <laughs>
3: that I should it's be all right, Rob, picking up that would. slack.
0: Thanks, mate, <laughs> mate. Too busy looking up uh, recent Bigfoot footage, obviously. Of course. You, we
2: all bring different things to the podcast. We all do. We lot. all
0: do. <laughs> Yours is arguably more crucial. <laughs> <laughs> um, so should we just, I mean, get straight into the movie? There's so much, I mean, we're we we going to have to, we're going to have to crack on, I think, because there's so much I think we all want to talk about. But um, when I first pressed play, I had to pause it to check that I was watching the right thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what an opening. What a cold opening. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, you're in the um, POV of a killer at yeah. um, a, well, is it? A sorority house? Do you think or yes. dorms? I or would something say like so, that? yeah, dorms on a college campus. Yeah. Sure. So, so as as <laughs> as we're following this thing, I'm like, this is a De Palma movie. This is going to be a really interesting, thought provoking, you know, opening. And I'm watching it. And I'm like this cannot be the right movie whatsoever. And it's a, it's a, it's a prestige, isn't it? It's well, it's yes. not a prestige, but essentially in the, in the movie world, it's a prestige. It's what is it? What's the name of the movie? Like uh, night of blood. Co-ed friends.
3: Co-ed, yes. Thank you, so it sounds
0: like a porno for a star. It really <laughs> does. So, yes. Um, and so this is uh, leading into Travolta and his, um, the filmmaker he works with uh, looking at the new movie and the way that they segue from one what is ostensibly a sort of a a poor slasher movie, still better than most, you know, POV slasher <laughs> movies ever yes. made, uh, is like the 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 bridge point is this scream. <laughs> There's a uh, yes, a woman in a shower is screaming, uh, and it is. Um, Deemed by the filmmakers not a very good screen. Well, what did you think of it, Rob? Did you think it was adequate for the, uh, <laughs> for the production? I mean, because I'm so dense, I was still watching it like, what am I seeing? What am I seeing <laughs> at this point? I have no idea what I'm seeing. And it was only at the point where the screen was very off, because it was very off. It was, that, yeah. Uh, that I'm thinking, what is this, what's going on here? And then we sort of transition into the yeah the filmmaker's sort of booth, where the the edit booth. i great isn't it <laughs> it's just brilliant i mean i love that opening it's very rem- uh, reminiscent of
2: um john carpenter's halloween when you're doing a single take from the pov of the killer and it's almost like again how chris said earlier like uh the palmer's in on the joke this is like a really trashy version of what people think his style is essentially mm. so mm. it's like long steady cam shot Although this is the first time he's actually used a Steadicam. Because it's pretty new new technology at this point. So it's the very first time he's used one. Even though that would later become synonymous with his filmmaking style. And yeah, there's lots of gratuitous nudity and (laughs) swearing and just general bad taste stuff. But he's like, yeah, this is what people think of my movies, essentially. (laughs) Uh, So he's really in on the joke. And yeah, as you say, even though he's making a pastiche of... Uh, a corny uh, slasher movie it's still pretty compelling until it gets <laughs> to the uh, to the scream and then it takes you into the into the sound mix with uh, John Travolta and his long-suffering director.
3: Mm. Um,
0: it was Garrett Brown. This uh, sequence was shot mm. by, wasn't it?
3: Uh, yes, who
1: invented you. the
0: steady camp, Um And he was, yeah, at this point, the only guy that could operate it, um, or well enough for a, you know, for a Hollywood movie, essentially. What a great piece of trivia that is! Yeah, uh, it, it's it's brilliant, and it does, you know, considering it becomes sort of synonymous with De Palma's work. Like seeing the birth of it is kind
2: of cool, isn't it? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's just phenomenal. I mean, I assume he did the Shining as well. That guy before on doing the um, mm-hmm. doing the shops shops for Kubrick. So he's working with the best people, isn't he? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, and also quite a tonal shift between the Shining and uh yes. Frenzy. <laughs> 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 I, think, um, I think for, for me, the only is 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 just perfect. Department, like you say, subversive. That everything's heightened, everything's really stylized. Like the sound, even like obviously, there's a film that deals a lot with sound. The soundtrack is just so heightened. Everything is just like turn up to eleven. It sounds a bit weird, and the screams. I remember thinking again, like when you first watch it, if you're coming in, it kind of cold. It's like what on earth is that? <laughs> like, no, this is not what. Yeah. Like you pick up the box and be like, what's no, that doesn't sound right. You know, like, and I love, I love that it is just, you know, and again, straight off, all the technical stuff. You've got obviously the steady cam, but you've got split diopters, you've got split screen, you've got, you know, the POV, you've got all these tracking shots. You're like, what, almost like a single shot all the way through. You've got boobs, you've got, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like you're ticking off your <laughs> Brian De Palmer checklist, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, creepy music, you know, like, when it gets revealed, the, um, the, the, the killer in the in the glass in the, in the in the mirror. He looks like some League of Gentlemen character. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he does. <laughs> he does.
0: Yeah, that was the moment for me that I was like, ah, this this could be a yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, now now I'm in on it. And that's the thing. It's like he just slowly reveals. And I bet he must have had so much fun filming all that. Oh yeah. So it just feels like there's a sort of I don't know. There's just something joyful about. Like let's just be as ridiculous as we can be. Like all these people doing these things in the bedrooms, like. Just close the blinds. Yeah, just, you know. yeah. 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 It's So good. I mean, no one's has any. All these people are like exhibitionists. And it's like <laughs> you know, doors, you know, doors open, all sorts of things going on. I just think he's just a brilliant, and and I, and it's I, I, I can't help but laugh out loud when it comes to the the shot where she tries to scream, and it's like. The,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, he's like, and they look at each other, like, he gets played again. He's, oh, he's so funny that 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 scene and that you say that transition of you know, and, and I suppose the Palmer does quite a lot in his so there's often a film within a film yes, brand yeah, poem, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So this is like, ah, right now I'm at it. Like, this this could be quite good fun.
0: But it's that transition though, that you know, like um what he did so great here in the opening. Uh, ten fifteen minutes was the the. It wasn't so much like world building of the movie, which was exemplary, Ooh. but it was yeah. also um role building of Travolta's character's role. Um, Jack Terry, is that right? Yeah, Excellent. great name, yeah, super name. <laughs> uh, nearly said John Terry, less super name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, like so, seeing the intricacies of his profession set up everything for me. You know, like yeah. his. His intuition, his dedication, just how involved the role of being a sound designer and a sound editor is, uh, but also why he would pick certain things out. But going through all these processes, the fact that they built this world and this role so early on uh, set up the whole film for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, and let's talk about Travolta as well. He is unbelievably good in this movie. It's the best performance he's ever given, and it's such a shame that the movie didn't do well because it really damaged his career in terms of getting, you know, because he was seen as the guy from Saturday Night Fever and Mm. and Mm. Grease, and you know, this was him making the transition into being a more grown-up, mature actor who can, you know, play serious roles in in movies. And this bombed, and I don't think it's any surprise that then the next movie he makes after that is a Saturday Night Fever sequel. The surprise is that it's directed by Sylvester Stallone (laughs) (laughs) with his music, with his brother doing the music, but that's, that's maybe another episode for another time. But yeah, it really, really sort of impacted on his career that this didn't hit like it should have done and people didn't take him seriously. When he's phenomenal in the role, and do you know who he wasn't, De Palma's first choice. Do either of you know who the first choice would it uh, was? Al Pacino, which also would have been phenomenal mm, as well. Cool. He'd have been able to do that haunted stuff. But you know, Travolta's not a bad backup, and obviously he worked with him on carry and he's become a massive star in the interim thanks to those two huge hits that he's had. Mm. So yeah, it was a no-brainer. But I think did real damage to his career, but then, you know, these things work in mysterious ways, then he doesn't get resurrected by Tarantino in the in the 90s if this is a huge hit, so yeah. um, or possibly doesn't. So, yeah, and I just think he's great. It's the one time I've actually bought him as just a regular yes. person, doing a regular sort of job, and somebody who could be on his uppers a lot of the time.
0: I, I've never seen him as good as this. Um, truthfully, so I I didn't. I was stunned because I didn't know he had this in him. Uh, I, and yeah. I don't mean that with any disrespect. It might come across like it had disrespect, but I didn't know John Travolta could be this. I mean, I've always found him hugely watchable, but I didn't know like this is this is different gravy to what I very ever relatable. Yeah. Um, do you know how old he was in this movie? He's got to be quite young in his twenties still. I'm asking for a number. <sighs> Twenty nine. Chris? 32. 27. Wow. Um, twenty-seven, yeah. Nancy Allen was thirty. So that but we'll get to her shortly. But mm. I always like that. I always like seeing, you know, like, cause I was a child at twenty-seven. <laughs> so you know when like people are doing this astonishing work at twenty-seven, I'm like, how oh, yeah. is this possible? You know, um, but no, it his his relatability. Um, And he is just a magnet. He is a movie star. Every inch of him is the movie star on this screen when I'm watching him in this movie. He is unbelievable in this film.
1: Yeah, it's a great understated kind of performance. But like I say, he's like playing this sort of every man. Mm. And he just goes through a real, you know, arc of just, he's just, he just sort of seems, like you say, in in the opening, he's quite um, jaded, but in a kind of like, this you know, this is just what I do, kind of in a yeah. you know, but jaded but dedicated. And then by the end, he's a bit of a shell. He was, saying. <laughs> <laughs> and but all through all through it, he's he, he, he like you say, he, he has he has he has real kind of charisma and screen presence, and and just is a totally believable performance. When in like say in the past, it's like John Travolta, who's him, always oh, the guy who does the singing and dancing, or is Hammy up in you know an action film. Yeah, um, I think this is this is like like I say is a real. Highlight of his career.
0: Oh, it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, the fact that there was no recognition for this, you know, like, or no, no. you're not going to find anything. You know, this is as, as good as you will find anywhere, yeah. seriously. The fact that it actively damaged his career is oh, just yeah. devastating. That's awful. <laughs> Best performance of your life <laughs> no. and it damaged your career. Astonishing. <laughs> oh, yeah. dearie me. Um, but then, so, so, um, brilliant. I love this uh, because it, it, I like it when I'm watching something or reading something or playing something. You know, games do this as well now, where you have that experience which teaches you at the same time. Yeah. And you learn something as you go in. And in this instance, it was when the, um, uh, the, film, the, the film director of the one that they were working on was like, you know, um, where's that wind from? I've heard it before. Well, this is from the library. You know? I've heard it all. Get more wind. You know, so yeah. he's got to go out and, and record more wind going through trees, you know. And it was just like, look, that is such a small touch, which adds so much fabric to this, Um which is why he goes out and he's on this bridge recording. And I think this is one of the greatest scenes of a man listening to stuff <laughs> you're oh. going to find anywhere, ever. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly contains the
2: best split diopter shot of a oh. owl yeah. <laughs> and a man on a bridge in cinema history. Oh. That's a hot take, I'm putting it out there.
1: <laughs> these these scenes, this scene is is just what I love, and again, like you get there's quite a few a lot of these scenes in, in in the film, is is there's nothing compelling more compelling than watching someone do something really well and like like you say being exposed to something and that like, watching him Recording and just moving around. Oh, and then yeah. later on, when he's editing stuff, I, I could just watch footage of someone just like doing reel to reel all day because he's actually doing so. You know, I, I just think it's it's just amazing. But also at the same time, it's like putting in little, you know, clues and, and hints and, you know, like just, just setting things up just perfectly. You know, nothing, no, none of this film feels forced. None of it feels yeah. like it's retrofitted, like, oh, right, oh, okay. It's a genuine kind of slow reveal of. A plot, and then you know, uh, and then what 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 follows from there. But that, yeah, you know, like I say, the, the, the bit on the scene—I'm sorry—the scene on on the bridge where he's like listening to different animals and the sound, and then there's that couple who think he's like some sort of pervert. People, again yeah, talk, you know, <laughs> yeah it's like really funny. Uh, and then obviously you get the, the the car coming through, and that's where the, the I suppose the where the, where the plot kicks in.
0: Yeah, uh, and this is like when you've got a filmmaker who is just consummately brilliant. And yeah. an actor who is also constantly brilliant. And you just watch them do anything. I, I know, like, if these two just went and did, you could, they could do anything, I'd watch it. <laughs> <You know?
2: laughs> yeah, and you've got... Just every department is just firing on all cylinders. So you've got yeah. Vilmos, uh, Zigmund, the cinematographer. Obviously, um, he shot Deliverance, won an Oscar for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, shot The Deer Hunter... Uh, mm. You've got Pino uh, Dinaggio, who's a frequent collaborator with De Palma. He's he scored Body Double, Dress to Kill, Raising Kane, and and this film. So, and the editing as well. I've not I've not made a note of the editor's name. Sorry, Simon. Okay. <laughs> we don't want to uh, denigrate any of the editors here, but it's just <laughs> absolutely brilliant how well this is all cut together. Mm-hmm as well, particularly later on when he's re-listening to the Mm -hmm. audio that he's recorded, and he's got a pencil in his hand and he's got these match cuts of him reminiscing about what he saw and what he heard with the directional mic, and -hmm. the pencil is moving in the exact same direction. It's Mm -hmm. just impeccable, impeccable filmmaking. (laughs) And it should be the most boring thing in the world to watch, but because it's shot with such care and such detail... And it establishes so much like how good John Travolta is at his job, you know, how powerful the mic is and what it is used for. You can have no idea about filmmaking at all or any of the equipment used and you understand how every bit of that machinery works which is just yeah. test it's just great
0: filmmaking it is but the, the way that this story is told this is it's told directly via the language and culture of cinema that's probably yeah the most well it's about thing. filmmaking the whole well, film is, is it's it's about it's filmmaking the most pompous thing i've ever said but it but, but it really <laughs> does speak to that it really feels like this is just the absolute texture of cinema and what cinema is supposed to be and the power mm. of cinema is on display here and it's absolutely like every cinematic trip, and it's all in camera as well, isn't it? You know. Oh yeah, like, yeah, is, yeah, It's just it's, it's at nineteen eighty one, isn't it? You know, like and and all the I mean, um, one of the great things I decided to do, totally by accident when I started to watch this, was listen to it on headphones. Oh and, yeah, and oh, it just the movie experience was unbelievable. But it's you are not. I'm going to throw it here now. There are a lot of technically technically great movies out there. There really are. I don't think I've ever seen a movie pound for pound made as well as this.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's he's a real craftsman, De Palma, and he sometimes Mm. gets dismissed as just as a bit of a show pony, as all style over substance. But I think this is the perfect uh, combination of his style with real substance. Mm. And you can tell he wrote the script in the 70s because it's got that, you know, uh, paranoid thriller. Yeah, yeah. Element of um we, and those movies were very popular in the 70s. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it's just a great great piece of
0: work. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult listeners for us to not eulogize a bit here, I think actually, because I know Chris you're you when we asked whether you would like to come and talk about Blowout, it was not a difficult conversation.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And because, because, for, well, for a lot of reasons, because I, th- I think it's a, a, a fantastic film. In it's all right, and obviously, is a big fan of, of Brian De Palma, but also because I think that I don't like to use the, the phrase consume, but we, we 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 take on so much, you know, content or so much, you know, um, art and so much visual stuff. We're bombarded by things that, like whether it's TV film video games you know podcasts there's there's like an audio visual overload wherever you go nowadays that to, to watch someone who has so much control over the medium and also that the fact that when you're watching a Brian De Palma film you are watching a film there's no other it's not made for tv it is a film that is cinematic and he uses cinematic techniques styles he, he doesn't he, there's no way you would how you because you imagine anything as visually interesting as this on television nowadays because he has, he comes from this is how this if I'm going to make a film I want to make it look like a film which is why he he uses film techniques which is like you know let's say the split diopter split screen pov shots Huge crane, you know. There's amazing kind of like crane shots, helicopter shots, obviously. Overheads you go, in rooms as like well. Massive overhead, yeah. yeah, all over that. You know, having and that that's that is possibly one of my favourite seats is when Travolta's. You know, we finds out all his tapes are being erased. Yeah. The camera just turns. Oh, three hundred and sixty is unreal. Yeah, it is. Not only is it. The, it feels like that's the perfect shot to sort of express, visually express this, the, the de- desperation that, and, you know, yes. the reveal of everything is gone, like the descent your spiral. It's just, it also visually it looks amazing. And there's so many shots in this film where you just don't get that level anymore, that visual level of, you know, uh, not to the same amount. Like there's, there's a bit, there's, there's a shot where he meets. Uh, Nancy Allen at the train station, and it's, it's, it's on the trains and it just sort of pulls back to reveal the meeting to, together. It's just a simple shot, but it looks amazing. The entire film is just astonishing. These big wide shots. Yeah. Everything it feels like it has a purpose. It's not there to be flashy, and I think he always said that you know placing the camera is just as just important as what you're filming. And I think that perfectly sums up Brian De Palms' approach to this. And I, again, it kind of get, gets lost in oh, he's a bit flashy, isn't he? But he's steady, he's sharp, a bit of and he a does this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, I think that there's a reason for that. You know, there's a reason why, and you get that in a lot of his films. You know, tracking, following the bit where. Nancy Allen, you think it's Nancy Allen walking through the market and it, John Lithgow's following her, stalking, and that is the best shot to, for that scene. There's no other way Absolutely, to shoot yeah. it. And oh, yeah, the, yeah. And I think yeah. that's what it comes down to. Because as, obviously as a filmmaker, you're constantly, it's all about choice, it's all about making decisions, making the right decisions. And I feel that, <coughs> excuse me, that with, with Palmer, when it comes to the visual aspect of it, it just always hits it always hits them. He, he knows where to put the camera at the right time. He knows how to edit at the right time. And I think that, um, yeah, and this 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 film, like I say, is just the perfect amalgamation of his shooting style, the actors, the content, the story, the timing of it, you know, kind of, you know, like I say, that kind of post-70s, you know, Watergate kind of paranoia. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I just think it's a, a, an astonishing film. And every time I go back and watch it, I I, I see something new. Yeah. And also, like, like today I only realized. You obviously you see him recording on the bridge, and then when he listens back and he has the pencil, when he's visualizing it, he's visualizing it from his point of view. So it's not the other shot; it's him looking. And I yeah. just like again, yeah, that's like astonishing it,
0: it, details.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just
1: you know, that's just brilliant. That's such a visual thing.
0: It, it's, do you know what I think? The camera is right. So in writing terms, we always talk about um, show, don't tell. You know, yep. um, I actually think that in, in visual terms, in this instance, it can be so, th- this is like watching, we all know, this is like watching a master storyteller at work, but yep. using a different medium. And I think what he does in this instance is he uses the camera to tell the story, not just show the story. So many filmmakers just show what is happening. Whereas he uses the camera to tell it in this one Absolutely. and he uses all the tricks of, of the trade. All of his, he's it, a maestro. I know we we eulogize, but the, yeah, guys, if you love movies and if you like the fact you like the medium of cinema, this will this is just the honestly, I think it's. It's in my top five of all time. I I think it's crept into mind on this rewatch. I've never seen it before, never heard of it before, and suddenly I've got a new top five movie of all time. That is earth-shattering to me. (laughs) Absolutely earth-shattering. Oh, gosh. Anyway, sorry. So he he fishes Nancy Allen out. So the car – sorry. Blimey, I'm so excited. Car goes – so he's like – With his listening to toads and crickets and, you know, gorgeous owls and all this kind of stuff. And um, a car comes around the corner, car goes off the road, car goes in the drink. He dives in because he's the everyman legend and he fishes out Nancy Allen. The governor, who is also inside of the car. That's it. There is a presidential candidate in the car, isn't there? Yeah. Or is he the governor or is he the.
2: He's the governor, but he's a
0: potential future president, yeah. Yeah. Because he was being a naughty boy uh, at that point. But. You know, there are other, you know, plot machinations afoot at this stage. But he goes to the hotel and they're all like, you know, hey, 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 hotel, hospital. (laughs) (laughs) A hotel for ill people. (laughs) Yes, it is.
2: (laughs) Also known as a hospital.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He popped the Premier in and said, you know what? (laughs) No, the police say to him. You've got to forget all this. He's dead. You know, you didn't pull a girl out of the car and all this kind of stuff. You didn't do all this kind of thing. And he's like, I did. I did. I really, really did. Um, yeah. And it, it's all. And I also heard something before mm. the tyre blew out. Yes. yes. And it's only when he gets back to his gorgeous tapes. I need mm. one of those massive talk boys that he drags around (laughs) to listen to rad stuff, listening to like crickets and gunshots. (laughs) So what we also see when the
2: car goes into the river is as he jumps in to the water to to save whoever's in there, you see what we later find out is a sort of private investigator slash photographer running across the bridge up there. And then that guy was shooting photos (laughs) at night of this, uh he happens to capture the uh the crash on uh on celluloid while J- John Travolta's character is recording it in sound and they because this private investigator type guy is a is a bit of a scumbag he sells those pictures to the tabloids and then Travolta gets hold of these and then makes a animated <laughs> Film out of the photographs that have been published in there and then syncs the audio that he recorded up with these and makes, like, his own Zapruder
0: film,
1: basically.
0: Yes. It's one of the great things I've ever seen. <laughs> yes.
1: And And, you know, the, uh, with Dennis Franz, who's, like... I feel this is the defining performance from him. As oh, yeah. It's the most sleaziest... <laughs> you know, yeah. and his white wife beater, which is full of oh, stains. Don't it's awful. You know, he's just this is this is Dennis Franz's just like peak <laughs> performance, and possibly the same performance he gave for the next like thirty years. But yeah, um, yeah that, that again, like, first watch didn't see him go up. You know, when Travolta comes up for uh, and then you see a figure running. I only saw the figure running across the bridge, but you can actually see him move around. I completely missed that. And they like say that the scene where he does the he cuts out all the the, the the fact that that magazine or that newspaper published frame by frame the entire. Oh yes, so lucky, isn't it? Apparently, <laughs> it's a Pruda film, didn't he? In, in one of the magazines, because to cut it out and then you get the again the, the the small little visual of the little flip book as he flips through it, and it's like oh, he's basically staying yeah. in the audience. This is this is filmmaking. This is yep. if you do this fast enough at twenty four frames. This is how films are. Photographs. It's just again that the visual storytelling straight off, and then to see him kind of find right. How how am I going to sync the image to the sound? It's the splash. That's where I need to to get it. If I get the splash of the car going in the water with the audio of the splash, everything else will sink. And it's just one of these like moments. Just like this. This is just amazing. Just this is so clever. and, And yeah. You feel like you're with this little detective who's like putting this puzzle yeah. together in a way that you've never seen before. Because yes. I don't, I've never edited. Well, at super rare I've edited like you know, real to real stuff, but not at this level. This is just astonishing. It's
0: just, and it's 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 so compelling. I mean, have you ever seen anything which is just a guy hunched over something be this mm. compelling? I don't understand. I know, yeah. How great! And I've been is. in editing rooms. They are
2: not very uh, vibrant <laughs> environments <laughs> at all. <like. laughs> but he somehow makes it the most compelling and you know sort of engaging
3: yeah. set
2: piece it's like a set almost like an action set piece in, yeah. within the movie of him just putting this little little film together that he's made to get himself out of Still photographs from that he's quite out of a tabloid.
0: <laughs> it's so great, and it's like the the it, because it comes from a place of redemption for him, doesn't it? You know, yes. like he is driven because of what has happened in his past. Like all great characters, like one of the reasons I love um, the character of Jack Terry so much, and and the way that um, he's played by Travolta is is, is flawed. He's deeply flawed, you know, he's yeah. not, he's not great. He's, he's quite, he's very manipulative with um, Sally, isn't he? Yeah. You know, like he's so driven to his objective and we like flawed characters. That's what makes them interesting. You know, yeah. we don't want to, you know, hang out with, you know, hanging out with Postman Pat all day, who is as <laughs> vanilla as it gets would be so boring, you know, such a weird reach. He's Not supposed to be complex, he's designed for uh, under vibes. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Like him, him delivering mail successfully every day, it's a bit boring, isn't it? Really, you know, we I
2: want this yeah, to Brian be Brian De
1: Palma's next project.
0: <laughs> Brian De Palma, I mean, I would watch
2: that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. POV of Pat curving in all the windows
0: <laughs> before he puts it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Enter the shady character of John Lisko. <laughs> uh, to say he has bungled this whole situation would be <laughs> <something of> an <laughs> understatement.
2: Right. So his plan, basically, th- what we find out is that there's a larger conspiracy that uh, they want to basically discredit the governor uh, by getting some roody-doody photos of him <laughs> cheating on his wife and basically Jeez. ending his candidacy for president uh before it even started and it turns out that nancy allen's character and dennis franz are in cahoots together and they do blackmailing and they're hired to do that now instead of just you know getting the photos john lifgow's character of burke decides and he is a f- in burke as well
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah decides that he's going to not just you know get the photos in a motel room you know like a normal person would he's going to shoot out the tire of the governor's car and then when the police arrive on the scene because or whoever arrives on the scene he'll be caught red-handed with with a girl inside the car and that's why Dennis Franz is positioned up on the up on the bridge unfortunately when he shoots out the tire the driver loses control and it goes into the drink <laughs> <laughs> essentially <laughs> he then has to swap out the tire to make it look like it was an actual blowout and not that there was a bullet hole in it
3: mm-hmm.
2: then to sort of throw the police off the scent that it wasn't a larger conspiracy he decides to become a serial murderer <laughs> that of women so that he can get rid of uh, Nancy Allen's character without any suspicion linking it to the governor's death it's a ba- it's a bad plan
1: He's <laughs> a terrible plan. He's clearly <laughs> gone off off piece. To he has a conversation with guys like I've never heard of you. I've never met you. That kind of, but he isn't he one of the best? Like assassin for hire, come psychopaths. Yeah, he's so he's such a dark character. The fact that he kills, you know, the wrong woman. He thinks he's following. Nancy Allen, doesn't he? Because this another another brilliant shot where he's in that like um, uh, shopping centre, and he has the he has a photograph of Nancy Allen, and it's split out with a woman coming down yeah. the escalator, which obviously you assume it's it's he's following, he couldn't be following her, kills this woman, and then he decides to to then like say become a serial killer, this, like <laughs> sex crime serial killer, uh, and also by the end of it. He ends up killing another prostitute just yes. to keep up the story that there's someone killing yeah. prostitute or women. And he's just like, this is what an awful, awful human he is. Yeah. I think he's just an astonishing character. Yeah,
0: I, I don't know. I'm still stunned
1: <laughs> by yes.
0: this character's arc. <laughs> Um, all, all I know is is Lithgow is brilliant. That's all I it know. Is. Yeah, yeah. It's just doubling down on bad decisions, essentially.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> the, the, there's, there's a moment where he's crying into a phone booth. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I did it. I did it. Just to, like to sell this obsc- this absolute <laughs> monstrous. Yeah, off piste is the best way to describe it. Segway, but it all just oh, it all somehow just works so great, mm. and he yeah. uses this um, well whoever his contact is, but he uses all of this to, to track down Sally herself while, um, and is it while John has it? Sorry, Jack. while Jack <laughs> Terry is ready to take his brilliantly concocted piece of film footage to the, um, uh, not the authorities, but a local newscaster. Um, yeah, because we,
2: as these things always done, they've tried to cover it up, hasn't it? And mm. reporters have got wind of the truth that there was a woman pulled out of of the car, and they've yes. approached him because obviously he was he he was the eyewitness, and they've not been able to suppress that. So the idea is is that he's going to provide the film to the press, mm. and he's trying to get Sally on board to do it as well because they feel like they should do the right thing. She feels guilty because mm. of her involvement in the blackmailing scheme that sort of led to this. And also he's sort of consumed by guilt because of the last, when he used to work for the police, when he wired a man, his wire went, uh there was a battery leak, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. And he was discovered and he sees this as an opportunity to do the right thing. Yeah. And to almost make amends for that, not that mm. it was his fault, as such. The guy no, sw- no. sweated, and the ma- and the battery uh, malfunctioned. But he ended
0: up yeah. getting killed, and he feels personally responsible. Well, I mean, that, with yeah. the wire that Travolta puts you, on it, <laughs> yeah, I know. so good. symbolically terrible. <laughs> such a macabre sense of humour. It is, yeah. Just on the topic of the macabre, like you know this this movie is is still on IMDb rated X. Really? Yeah. Seriously. Ah, um, really? I've just yeah I've just checked it again. Yeah, rated X. And it says that that is the, yeah, what the UK classification for this movie is. I know that, like, obviously, we mentioned before about, um, just to keep up the charade, that um, he's a serial killer. let kills this uh, woman in a toilet stall at the station. That shot of the leg yeah. is just absolutely haunting. It's more affecting than any violence, you know, any graphic violence, I think I've seen on film in a long time. I think that,
1: the, the, you know, there's, this It's quite interesting that he also has like a red grand from Russia. with love kind of watch with a erotic mm. thing. In. But um, I, I think that the the, the power gets a, some. I don't know bad press, but I, you know, he, he's seen as you know always. You know, there's a lot of women murdered in his films, and you know, and be accused of being you know showbiz or misogynist and stuff. But I think that scene perfectly is a perfect example of an argument against because. There's nothing titillating about that. No. You know, the way it's shot from the feet, there is you, you feel nothing but sympathy for her. Oh yeah, and she's just part of this. Like I say that, that it's just he decided that, that that's another woman I'm going to use to to help bolster this. You know. Oh yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Kind of you know the the the, the serial killer kind of you know thing that that, that gets it, that deflects from the fact that the woman who was in the car is actually going to be murdered. Yeah. And I think that, that that, I think he's, yeah, for me, there's nothing kind of titillating about it at all. And it's just, it's absolutely devastating and quite, yeah. and, 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 and still shocking, but not actually gratuitous because you don't actually see anything. You just see no. the go over a net and then that's it, her feet dangling and the camera kind of tracks away from her feet.
0: Yeah. It, it's the, it's the, the motion of the feet, the flapping of the, mm. the it's just, the struggle, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's horrendous. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Um But but just like desperately effective. Um, this is, of course, when she's tr- when he's trying. Well, he, when Lithgow is posing as the news reporter to try and get the mm-hmm. footage, um, so he can you know get rid of it all. We're on the home straight here, aren't we? Really, Cause yeah. it's all one way traffic. The um, the the brilliant narrative storytelling mechanism of. Travolta being in the car listening on his own. Yeah, massive so he wires boy. Sally, doesn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. again, he
2: sees it as a redemption arc, doesn't it? he? He does. He can yeah. get it right this time.
0: Yeah. And he follows them down into the, you know, follows the sound of them to the subway. But hearing this is such a unique way of doing a pursuit. And all of this is shot through the, you know, the literal lens of an absolute master. You know, yeah. the whole thing is just brilliant. He even manages to find time for a quick car crash. During as well oh, in he the crashes middle of the, the Liberty Day Parade. Like, he does, yeah. yeah. Outstanding action. He probably
2: kills a horse in the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the horse that falls off.
1: <laughs> like, I would love to see, I'd love to see, like, Brian De Palma direct, like, some sort of French Connection car chase, because it would have been, like, the best thing ever. Yeah. Because, even for that short bit of him kind of doing a, um, I suppose, it's like a, To live and die in LA type, just drive ploughing through people and you know (laughs) driving through you know uh, pavements and stuff. It's this? It's like such a visceral scene. It's just it's it's fantastic. It
0: it is, and like, can you imagine? Like, just to to jump off the point that you just made, Chris. Like, he has just made a dude listening to stuff amazing for Mm -hmm. an hour and a half. It's incredibly Like Yeah, yeah. could you imagine what he could do with like massive action (laughs) 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 sequences if he took that like? Sensibility of detail and mm. oh, sort of camera mastery into it. Oh, well, yeah. he sort of did with Mission Impossible, didn't
2: he? Oh, some I know, I know, I know. I know. I know.
0: But yeah, he's never made a straight up action.
2: Yes. Action film. Um, You know what this this uh, chase reminded me of. Do you remember when we covered deja vu on the pod? Oh yes, yeah. and uh, Denzel's got the goggle cam. On. He's got a headset into yes. the past or the future. I can't remember exactly what you it is. So yeah. right. And he's
0: trying to catch up. So I think that Tony Scott pretty much just ripped that off. <laughs> oh, blowout. Can we just signpost this for listeners and potential listeners that we're the only podcast that has made the link between, between deja, vu deja Vu by <laughs> Tony Scott and Blowout by
1: Brian Depp. But then you've got Tony Scott doing Enemy of the State, which is essentially the sequel to The Conversation. Right. Yes. And then The Conversation is very, you know, and blowout. Very, very. Similar concept. Tony's into
0: this movie, you can tell. Absolutely (laughs) love Tony Scott. Um, Yeah, sorry, James, you were saying. So, yeah, and then
2: obviously this builds to, I don't know, the most devastating ending in all of cinema, potentially. (laughs) (laughs) But best shot? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's two scenes in particular. So uh, Travolta gets into a big car crash, mm. uh, and then he wakes up in the ambulance, doesn't he? And he's still got his wire on, and it's still in his ear. Mm. It's strange that he's not been arrested. That he's not handcuffed to the stretcher. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's very fortunate. But I, I'll I'll let it go. It's fine. And um, he can hear that um, Lifgaw has got. Nancy Allen and that uh, um bad things are gonna happen. So he, he races out and he's desperately trying to find her by following the sound and there's fireworks going off and people are out celebrating and all this and he, he hears he hears a scream, doesn't he? And it's a like a scream of pure terror and he spots her up by the Liberty Bell. Mm. And then Burke drags her back out of view. And then we have this slow motion sequence with this brilliant piece of music on the score. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is going to be his redemption because we know that he was unable to save the last person that he wired, even though he knew something had gone wrong. But he's definitely going to get there this time to save, save the day and save Sally. And he arrives on the scene and he kills Lif Gow he ta- he, you know, because he, he, he takes him by surprise.
1: With and the then, ice pick, is that?
0: Yeah, arguably with excessive force.
3: Oh, no, <laughs> it's,
1: it's required.
2: But and then you're like, yes, heroic moment. What a what a great denouement to the film. But no, he's he's too late. She's gone. He, he, Burke has garroted her.
1: Yeah, the, 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 that image of her. Uh, I think there's, there's a couple of shots in this. There's, there's one shot with all the, the fireworks going off and there's another shot which is in front of the, uh, the, the the American flag and she's like leaning down trying oh, to reach to yeah. and that is so devastating. Oh, it is, she's isn't just, it? She's, he he can't get there. She knows that. He knows that. And he's trying his best. It's again when when to use when to use slow motion, when not to use it, and that that is a perfect yes moment to use it. That that just. It's like a dream, isn't it? We like yeah. you know, we sort of like wading through mud or something. It's like it feels like, yeah, one of those. Yeah,
0: you can't worlds. get there quick enough. Like mm. always in dreams, you can't get there quick enough, can yeah. you?
1: I think it's, it's, it's fair to say it's a bit of a Debbie Downer that ending. <laughs> not, not, only, not only is you know the, the hero doesn't get to save the woman, the, the woman that he you know he saves her. I suppose in sort of the traditional kind of like the storytelling. In, but then fails to ultimately save her because of, of all these things. It is one of the most macabre, dark <laughs> use. Yeah. I just thought, obviously, he, he, after that scene, he then you know he cooked to Travolta after you know there's there's news reports saying that um, you know that there are aware there's these sort of sex murders, but but that you know the, that he was apprehended, but the identity of the murderer wasn't his net car. You know, it hasn't been revealed. And Travolta sat in the snow listening to the, his recording of oh, Nancy Allen talking to him through the wire.
3: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Then caught to the uh, final mix for uh, Co-Wed Frenzy and they finally found the scream and it turns out to be Sally's scream. Is it, used no, is that? Yeah.
0: Is that what they so, did?
1: So the, so the film, so it's bookended, isn't it? With The, the, the screen doesn't work. We can't, and then obviously, there's a scene, isn't it, where they get those two actresses to, to try and get the scream. So the scream that Travolta actually adds to the film is Sally's scream from her really genuinely being murdered,
2: which again is one of the most of the car things I've ever come across. It's like the punchline to the sickest joke you've, you've yes, ever heard. exactly. But I yeah. don't the first time I saw this I it really took me aback I thought it was like really distasteful but it's not mm. it's as, if you know like the first thing about um about filmmaking it's a self-flagellation mm. act it's essentially him beating himself up again because if you're in the sound mix you're going to have to listen to that yeah. over and over which is yeah, what he was doing before yeah.
1: was he was
2: and it's him blaming himself for mm-hmm. her death and committing it to that piece
1: of film forever mm. she gets to live on and he's such, and he's it?
2: like and you're not thinking of it in rational terms he's an absolutely broken man now at this point mm-hmm. he's completely
0: a shell of his former self he'll never be the same ever again he again his his acting in that moment was amazing I, yeah when he just really, keeps muttering it's I mean he's
3: catatonic yeah. he's like muttering It's just yeah. he's he's lost a it. good yeah. it's a good scream.
2: Yeah. it's a good scream good scream yeah yeah
0: It's just a sledgehammer ending. It's so sad. I hadn't... I hadn't... I mean, it was already super (laughs) harrowing.
3: Yeah.
0: But I hadn't made that connection. Obviously, I'm so thick. Oh, (laughs) my Lord! Yeah, it's
2: (laughs) just so sad and so devastating.
3: So you can
0: see why the word of mouth weren't great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's from, like, um, another movie this uh, week, I think, turned... 15 i think it was the mist darabonts the mist yes yeah, <laughs> um, yeah which also has one of the great endings of all time for me um, yeah absolutely yeah and and this this also because if you are bold enough to go for it like this you know yeah. and and i love this is one of the reasons i love fiction in any form you know i know fiction is often often a word that's attributed to to books but fiction of any form stories of any form You never know really what's going to happen next, you know, Like and that power in storytelling, like the fact that we've been held like so gripped for this amount of time to be given this ending. I still, it's just so masterful, but still somehow so fulfilling. Mm. I don't feel cheated by this ending at all. I feel, still feel like there's resolution. Is it because of that book ending thing? We've started with the screen, we've ended with the screen. Maybe on some subconscious level we're being (laughs) told that, no, it's all right, you can be happy about this because the the, the screen thing is sorted. Uh, Exactly. And, like, yeah, well, there is a resolution to that. There's a resolution
2: to everything. And there's also, thematically, there's this idea of an artist trying to capture truth within Mm. film, which is a very... Mm.
0: Pretentious way of looking at it, but I do think that that subtext is certainly in there. Oh, I I totally agree. Um, As if I wasn't already broadsided when I watched this movie, I'm now (laughs) doubly. It's just one of the best smashed up.
1: It really is. Um, It's genuinely devastating. Is it's like oh, totally. You feel for Travolta's character, but you also sort of you're left in almost the same emotional state that you're just like yeah, empty. It's like oh. Right. But,
0: but Sally has a wonderful arc as well. You know, mm. the way she comes back, is, comes around from obviously, she's essentially a scammer, isn't she? From the very beginning. Yeah. And then yeah. co- comes oh, well, around like know. a con artist. Yeah. And then she comes around and like, but she, she plays it with such sweetness all the way through Nancy Allen. Yeah. That you can't help but root for her and want the best for her too. You want her to do well.
1: And she has purpose as well. I think when absolutely. she realises she wants to help Travolta, you know, she goes and tries to steal the film and stuff. Yeah. She's actually part of the story. She's just not the yeah. body. You know? absolutely.
0: Yeah. Brave and plucky and and um, puts herself in all sorts of situations that Travolta, frankly, doesn't.
3: No. <laughs> well, doesn't this is another it.
0: layer to it, isn't it, that he Ooh. risks her. She takes
2: he the does. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh my! God. I, I get. The, we could talk for hours. I think about this, um, yeah. and I'm sure over a few beers in future, we definitely will. Yeah. Uh, but can I ask for your best bits?
2: Well, as I've already previously mentioned, a big fan of the split diopter shot on the owl. <laughs> I just to say that's a joke. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. The um, the true favourite moment for me is when he finally syncs the sound he's captured oh, up yeah. with the animated photographs and discovers yeah. the muzzle flash within there he basically mm. cracks a case and realizes that he's not being paranoid and he's not some conspiracy nut he's onto something and it's just yeah. superb and uh, just to go back on the ending as well because the ending is fantastic is I think it does something that most films about amateur sleuths because he is an amateur detective yeah. essentially don't do is that he fucks it up and he would fuck it up because he's not a professional
3: yeah he
2: thinks he's he thinks he's in control of the situation but he it, it just gets completely away from him. And I love mm. that, that a regular person investigating this, they would make so many mistakes. And ultimately he mm. makes loads of mistakes and it results in, you know, his friend being murdered brutally.
3: Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. And he do, I think the Palmer's done that a couple of times. He? Like in Dress to Kill, you've got is it, uh, uh, the, the character, is Keith David, uh, Who's the who's whose mother's the, murdered, and he becomes again becomes an amateur sleuth part of this with, yeah. with Nancy Allen. I think there there is that kind of. I think it's, it's just I suppose it's quite refreshing, isn't it? Rather than just having you know following a cop, you know, doing a police procedural. Yeah, like yeah. He sort of decides that like, well, what can I? What am I interested in? Right. Well, I'm a, a filmmaker, so let's do it from a what trope. You know, what what kind of device can I use for this? In the same way like, with like uh, the stuff in like Dress the Kill where he, he invents like a little camera that can take photographs as everyone leaves this building.
3: Yeah. And there's that kind of
1: like technical side that really appeals to the Palmer. I, I, quite, I quite like that. Yeah. But watching it again and, and thinking about the, the the fact that the filming, a the, 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 it's bookended with a film called The Coed* you know, Frenzy, which has a, a you know, some a, a bloke who murders women with a device. And I was thinking that actually John Lithgow is the co-ed Frenzy murderer. You know, he goes Basically, and yeah. he's almost shot in the same yes. way. There's the shot the, the, in the, suit. The, you know, in the market where he falls and there's a shot where he picks up the ice pit. There's lots of similar, it's almost like, the film he's editing comes to life with this character in yeah. you know within that,
2: and De Palma makes the the super trashy version of that, and the yes, really is
1: that is that like a statement of uh, you know like these this is the film I make, and obviously you know having co Frenzy is the heightened version of the, the film. And it's almost like a, like answering to his critics of like, actually, you think that this is the type of film I do make. Actually, the film I do make is the Travolta kind of story. And I thought that was quite, yeah, I just hadn't really noticed the fact that you follow Lithgow and it's shot almost in the same way. That he shoots the, the, the co ed Frenzy murderer. And I just thought it was quite interesting. Yeah, it is. It's just so well done.
0: <sighs> this film is still, you know, I'm going to have to watch <laughs> yeah. it again immediately. It's like, it's yeah. so much more layered and in depth. And, yeah. uh, oh, gosh. Um, I, I find finding a favourite bit quite a struggle, to be honest. Honestly, I think I'm going to go with that whole first segment when he goes out to film Wind and he accidentally film, uh, you know, records a murder. Sorry, record wind, records a murder. I, I I, can't, like, that whole sequence was just... And I don't like using the word lesser, but a lesser filmmaker or a less accomplished filmmaker makes that a, a moment that is just, like, a perfunctory plot point that mm-hmm. has to be done. Yeah. Whereas I'm saying it's the best bit of this film. <laughs> you
3: know Absolutely. what I mean? Like yeah, That's yeah. the
0: difference in what what... An incredible filmmaking do, I, I I yeah the whole thing with the the way that the sound the sound design oh you no know, needless to say the sound design in this film is mm. of uh, amongst the best you will find present day backwards whenever you like the sound design in this film is is of of such an elite nature Um, but, but the, the, the techniques on display, obviously, I'm digging split diopter split stuff mm. with wildlife. Love all that stuff. <laughs> Travolta and wildlife, digging all that. Um, but the, the whole film, sorry, the whole sequence was so, sucked you in so severely. You were on the spot there with Travolta on the bridge. Oh, yeah. Every Absolutely, second of that. Yeah. And you felt it throughout every part of you. And that is just, it's pure greatness, pure mastery of the medium for me. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's as great as I've ever seen cinema, and it's a dude listening to some toads on a bridge. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just incredible. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I suppose we should we should jump onto FYR for your reconsideration, um, James. You will go last, as is per our custom. Would you like me to go first? Would you like to go first, Chris?
1: Uh, well, either yeah. Uh, well, I'll go first yeah
0: you take yeah. it you take it guess guess uh, first that's the gentleman guess first to <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely you know two thumbs up I cannot recommend this film enough uh, I'm, and I'm over the moon that you're covering it on the on this podcast because you know having it sort of you feel like you're in some sort of secret club because, you know, when you get a filmmaker that's sort of derided because the public perception of them is one thing, but actually you're like, no, no, there's much more to it. And I think that to, to have, you know, the, the opportunity to talk about a filmmaker who is often misunderstood or, or I think at times... You know, when you think about like, you know, audiences, are they, are they less sophisticated now as they were back then? Or are we just more kind of cinema literate? So, you know, you'd be able to go, oh, that's Brian DePort, that's a Scorsese thing. That's, a you know, from this sort of film. But I, I just think its I'm so glad that, that he's getting some sort of recognition because I think his films are endlessly interesting. You know, uh, I say going back and review, you know, rewatching stuff whether it was this and let's say body double which I even I sort of dismissed as just like yeah just you know pervy (laughs) (laughs) actually there's so much more to it you know going back and watching stuff that uh, that, like Mission Impossible it's just like what a brilliant solid espionage spy cold war you know old school thriller this is and set off a franchise you know off that's still going on now um, to to Carrie, which is a brilliant, you know, Stephen King adaptation, you know, crazy musicals, um, you know, and then some of his later stuff like, you know, Femme Fatale with Antonio Banderas, which which is, again, something worth seeking if you you can find that. Yeah, I I, I love Brian De Palma's films and, you know, it's a shame that they are sort of misunderstood, but hopefully, you know, podcasts like this will help. Rectify that, and I think blowout is a great place to start. I think most people are familiar with Mission Impossible, uh, Untouchable, Scarface, Carlitos Way, but there's so much more to discover. And I, and I think that if you are a fan of his sort of more mainstream kind of studio films, there's a lot you'll get out of things like this and, and, and Dress to Kill, and you know, Obsession, and the Fury, and you know, there's just there's a, there's a great what an amazing backlist of films he's done <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can't wait to swell <laughs> in he's very good at endings The
2: Fury has an amazing
1: oh, yes. ending yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: don't spoil please no spoil. it's amazing because if if I'd had this film spoiled I'd be like oh my god yeah it um, also
2: has uh, Kirk Douglas doing parkour in his underpants so <laughs> yeah
0: Why didn't you just go in with that? You know, (laughs)
2: seventy-year-old Kirk Douglas doing parkour around New York City in his (laughs) grudge.
0: Parkour. (laughs) Uh, No, incredibly well said, Chris. Um, I find this very. I'm going to find this very hard not to relate. Just how seismic watching this film has been for me. Right. So we all have our top tens, our top fives, or whatever. My top five movies hasn't changed. Twenty-five years, thirty years. This is number two now <laughs> behind
3: incredible. Jurassic
0: Park. No, this is, so Jurassic Park o- occupies a, a sacred spot because yep. that's the movie that made me think anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible in cinema. And I have so many indelibly incredible memories of this with my family um, and also my children now. Um, and then I watch something like this today, which is just shows me that with the power of story, the power of a camera, the power of a guy who knows what to do with it, and the power of sound and care and detail, you can do anything. This is the most incredible film I think I've seen because I'm I'm literally speechless at how much this has affected me today. I don't know how to put it into words, just how great this movie is. Um, is everything I love about cinema everything I love about the medium it is why I'm sat talking to you guys today it is because of movies like blowout which actually it's not because blowout is better than all those movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we just learned this has altered my very fiber <laughs> watching this movie I mean we, we've we been very lucky there's, t- there's two movies that we brought to the podcast that have really affected me in a huge way Sorcerer was one Sorcerer yeah. was just incredible but Blowout is just something else and this is just this is this is an experience this is a film this is something that will sit with me forever I don't know how how best to put it and I don't know how you're going to get a stronger recommendation to reconsider than that <laughs> amazing
1: yeah the film film, when I first saw it it had a massive effect on me you know it it makes you want to go and make films it makes you love cinema again it makes you it's like like, you know it's this massive injection of there's something it's really hard I just get so passionate about it sometimes it's it's hard to actually articulate it because there's not many films like this and it just like you say, it just makes you realise. You know, occasionally you you, you know you, you watch a lot of films and there's lots of TV and streaming services. And you actually get you know, and then finally you get to sit down and watch your know, cinema. And ultimately, it's like oh well, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And then there's a film that comes along and it just like almost like shakes you to the core. I think this is this is why I love cinema. This is yep. this is why I do watch. You know have a punt at that something that's on Netflix in the corner in the dregs, you know? And I think, actually, that sounds relatively interesting. And, you know, it might not be a masterpiece, but there's something interesting about it. But then you get that film, which is just this perfectly formed little thing, you know? And it, every now and then you come across it, you just think, this is what it's about. And and I think films like Blowout are just, again, like, like you said, Jurassic Park, another perfectly formed film, mm. you know, you couldn't, it couldn't be better at it, you know, with what it, it works with, I think it's, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think uh, with Jurassic Park, obviously it helped that I was 10 years old when that came out, and yeah. I was like right really? in the exact target zone. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: there are, I think there are empirically perfect films. I yeah. think things like Jurassic, Jurassic, Park, you know, like perfect screenplays that are directed perfectly, the choices perfect the casting is perfect you know it just everything gels in a magical way and it's it, when you come across something that again like it's not been on your radar to find something that that is you know 40 odd years old and be like this is what it's about it's so exciting yeah. and I, I love that and that's, that's what's the great thing about podcast and you know what you guys are doing oh, it's like yeah. don't don't just you know brush off that film give it some time it might be your new favorite film or it might be actually it's not for me but you never know unless you have to give it some time so right you're so right
0: james i'm so sorry we got so wrapped up in it no no
1: not
2: at
0: all i mean obviously you this was your pick and
2: yeah imagine if i went nah i don't i've (laughs) (laughs) gone (laughs) off. Just yeah, I'd yeah, throw a dud at you guys. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what you're all talking about. It's rubbish. Um, yeah, um, no, it's it's an absolute masterpiece, and everyone should watch it. Uh, Rob, I think you got. If you, it's streaming on MGM, which is an IBS right. channel through Amazon Prime. So if you want to stream it, you can get it there. But I would very much recommend the Criterion Blu-ray. Got really great extras on it. Lovely. Lovely art. Plus, uh, Pauline kale's essay is included oh, really? as well
0: as part of the Bump. Oh, my So, um, yeah, get on that. I, I actually looked for it today on Amazon, and it is out of stock on Amazon at the moment. So, uh. so there's a Criterion
2: version, and then uh, Arrow seemed to do all of De Palma's Blu-rays oh, for nice, the most part. Nice. Cool. So
0: if it's not on Criterion, then you can get it via, um, oh, via well, Arrow, I'm sure. There's hope for me, yeah. Well, for the next three months, I have it for... Sorry, I shouldn't say that, because... For the next three months, um, I have an MGM subscription for a pound a month. Oh, great, Um, yeah. And then it goes up to $4.99 a month.
1: um, Just going to be watching Rocky films. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: basically. Actually, there are some really cool movies on it, actually. um, I will be digging in, but I can't be getting another subscription service. Come on. (laughs) (sighs) Dear me. But, yeah, that's how you can get it if you want to watch it pronto for a pound. Um, just remember to her, you know, if you don't want the service, cancel afterwards. Sorry, we might get in a lot of trouble for that side. No, we're not. It's fair enough. It's just honest advice. Yeah, yeah. we're man here. There is an energy crisis. There is there a cost of is. living cost debacle of living crisis, going on yeah. right now. Yeah, so we all need to be able to watch our cinematic masterpieces with the minimum of minimum of outlay. Um, gents, thank you so much um, for tonight. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, loved I, I, it. I am going to probably be boring you both to death about how much I love this film <laughs> and anyone who comes near. It's so a very glad. long time to come. No, it's but it's it's altered altered me. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> immense. Um, so just before we go, um, Chris, what is next for um, yourself, the tapes? And uh, obviously we're both on the really 007 podcast. What's what have we got coming?
1: Uh, the tapes we are going to do. <laughs> well, we've just finished uh, a bit of a sort of John Carpenter, you know, series. We are hoping to do, you know, that the thing, which is still planned. I'd like to sort of dig into some, you know, um, sort of classic, British TV, maybe like the Owl Service, you know, something along those lines. So there's, there's, there's so much to, t- to discuss, but I, I, it's been, like I say, it's been amazing being able to talk about one of my favourite films and one of my favourite filmmakers. So I, I really appreciate you uh, oh, inviting no, me. No. No. Oh, no. Thanks thank, for coming,
0: Chris. We thank you so it. much, man. I um, th- appreciate it loads. And uh, James, for us, who's, who's our next pick? I can't. Is it Christmas well, time? It's Christmas time,
2: right? <laughs> so almost going from the sublime. To the ridiculous, so I no, thought... No,
0: there's no almost about it. We literally right, are doing We it. are
2: going from the sublime to the ridiculous. So we're going to pick a, a Christmas movie that none of us have seen before, but seems like it would be right up our <laughs> alley. So we're combining seasonal good cheer with one of our favourite topics, Bigfoot. We are doing the Bigfoot Christmas movie, Pottersville, which is streaming on Netflix It stars Michael Shannon, Judy Greer, Thomas Lennon, Ron Perlman, Christina (laughs) Hendricks
3: and Lovejoy
2: himself, Ian McShane. Um, (laughs) A man's drunken romp in a gorilla suit gets him mistaken for Bigfoot, drawing media attention and tourist dollars to his struggling small town. (laughs) Streaming on Netflix. Have you seen Pottersville,
0: Chris? I
2: haven't. Every time I look at it,
1: I've seen, I bet, I bet Rob's seen
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, uh, it is directed by Seth Henrikson. Any so- relation? Lance. This is what we need to know. I'm, I'm like frantically li- live googling to try and find out. No, no, it. that's
2: what we, that's a hook and tease. People will have to come back,
3: right? Okay, you'll <laughs> have to come back <laughs> to find out where the, the
0: premier Bigfoot actor of our generation, his has progeny, where the-, <laughs> 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 the right. I, I, you need to see the poster for Pottersville because it is. Bug nuts.
3: Frankly, <laughs> exactly. it's absolutely
0: bug nuts. And I'm going to share that with you guys in a moment. But anyway, I, uh, I cannot wait to discuss uh, Pottersville with you, James. And with you, Cy, si, because Cy si is, God bless this man, he's going to be editing this episode as well. Um, so, yeah, th- th- thank you, boys, very, very much. It's been an absolutely brilliant evening. Guys, go on, get blowout. Just go, go get, get the Criterion Edition. Get T-shirts, get posters. Um, <laughs> just get tattoos. daub your body in the greatness of (laughs) Blowout. In the meantime, uh, please chat us up on the Twitters. Uh, We're at FYI Film Pod. We've got a Gmail address, haven't we? Uh, Email thing. Yeah. um, ReconsiderPod at gmail.com. And also, please give us five stars in your subscription service of choice. And we'll see you next time for Pottersville. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, superb! Say goodbye, boys.
1: Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>